Hello friends, what is the crack? How are you getting on? Hope you are well and I hope you're having a lovely, gentle day. And even if you're not, it's okay not to be okay. Today I'm joined by someone that I absolutely adore. Today I have a very dear friend on the podcast. The man I have on the podcast today, he is famous and very well known only in Bray. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's the third most famous thing in Bray after Katie Taylor and the crime. <laughs> if, you were ever in, if you were ever in the Martello pub, you would have seen me pal Scotty. He was the front of the house. If you're ever going in or getting thrown out, you would have seen me pal Scotty. Scotty is a former member of uh, the Bray band, Big September, who had an absolutely some smashing good hits and uh, absolutely unreal. And uh, Scotty as well is a man that I literally owe my life to. When I was in a very dark place with my mental health and uh, my drinking, Scotty, I don't know if you want to say he was at the right place at the right time, if it was a coincidence or if it was divine intervention, but uh, took me under under his wing and, and, and essentially saved my life and uh, put me on there, put me, introduced me to, to the 12 step program. And because of that, now I'm, I'm nearly eight years without it, without a drink or without a drug. So Woo! I owe my life to Scotty, Scotty <laughs> O'Neill. Scotty, what is the crack? Colin, How are you? Sorry, brother. Good to hear it. Thanks for that beautiful intro. You're worth every second of it. When do I get that check off you for saying all that stuff? <laughs> I'll send it to you later, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I've given you enough stick over the years. So yeah, I, I, I never mentioned you were a big sexy redhead either. So. Yeah, you forgot about the redhead part. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the cracks, You want to see me here at the moment? I could, uh, it looks like I'm one of the Leeds players. I'm going back to the top knot, you know, and shouts <laughs> at the side. Oh, hey, but, yeah, the, yeah, the little man bun. Yeah, the mock the girlfriend saying to me, she goes, You know, you're 33 now with a son, you <laughs> <What>? know. And I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Conor McGregor's been copying your hairstyles over the years. <laughs> ah, sure. let, let him. I, wish, I was gonna say, I wish I have his, had his money, but listen, I'm, I'm happy and content for today, you know. Yeah, How are you, brother? This is it. I'm good, man. I'm good, Scotty. I'm very good, and I'm delighted to be talking to you, man. You know, you, you always put a smile on your face, and uh. You always have, and I suppose I better tell the story of how, how we met Scotty. Um, so essentially, Scotty, when I, 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 uh, I, I was in a bad place when we were drinking, and uh, we all, the whole family, we all decided to go down to Donegal for this convention. And the lead up to this, you know, every, my mental health was an absolute disaster. And the only thing getting me boy was, was essentially drinking, and that was a disaster. So I rock up to this ho- uh, to this hotel with the family, and uh, the family are like, "Look, it's my dad's birthday. 
family, promise the family, look, I promise you, I'm not going to drink. You haven't got anything to worry about. And they're all fucking laughing and whatever, I don't know. So get into the hotel, and next thing, there's this big, massive banner up over the lobby of the hotel that says the International Alcoholics Anonymous Convention. <laughs> you like it? Like some from midsummer. Oh man, so I was, I'm in this bleeding AA convention surrounded by alcoholics. I'm oh, sorry, recovering alcoholics. Recovering and, alcoholics. I, and I'm like, I'm not fair to me drinking down here. Like, you know, and there's no way we can drink at an AA convention at this, like, of all weekends to go, I go on the rip. Like, so I'm sitting in the bar and there's a lad there we're watching the football match and he's like, Do you want a point, mate? And I was like, Ah, oh, I probably shouldn't. He said, I just have to have the one. I said, go on, I'll have the one. So with that, fucking blacked out for two days, absolutely wrecked this out there, went on to the absolute rip. And like, <laughs> and it's eight alcoholics were licking their lips, saying, oh, fucking, like seeing a young fella that needs recovery, like, you know. But um, then, you know, I woke up in the hotel room, you know, and we, the guards have just left, you know, the family are getting threatened to get thrown out of the hotel. I'm there going, right, I'm done. I can, like, I literally didn't even want to live anymore. It was like, do you know that feeling you wake up and you want the ground to swallow you up? It was like that by a million. <laughs> and the uh, next thing, there's a knock on my door and I open the door of the hotel room and, and Scotty walks in. and uh, naked. You bollock naked, taking advantage of me while I'm still while I'm still drunk. <laughs> and uh, Scotty, Scotty, like what Scotty does, he like he starts to tell me his own story. And he came, he was that got into recovery young, you know. And he said he didn't tell me what I should do or tell me about how bad my drinking is, you know. He just said, "Look, I was talking. You probably don't remember talking to me. I was talking to you last night, you know. You're telling me you're trying to get off the drink for years and you couldn't. This is my story, you know. And and straight away." I just felt this connection and I could relay, you know, not only just with the drinking, you know, because my drinking was off the bleeding wall, but just that, that fear, you know, that fear that I felt, that feeling of just, as I heard a guy say before, you know, I felt like a black sheep my whole life. And then I, <laughs> and then I met a herd of black sheep, you know, and yeah. that's, and that's how I felt when I started talking to Scotty and Scotty started telling me, you know, all his own story and his own, I suppose, insecurities and about all the low self-esteem and just feeling like on the outside of the circle. And from that day, Scotty brought me down to one of the meetings at the convention. And obviously everyone recognised me. I'm sitting in a meeting with a black eye, my face cut open. <laughs> Bloody hands. Oh, stop. <laughs> and uh, Scotty brings me down to that, that meeting and... Uh, yeah, and, and, that, and that was my last drink, and, and Scotty was my first sponsor as well, and uh, we remember going out to Bray and drinking the skinny lattes, you know, <laughs> I didn't even know what a skinny, skinny latte jeans. was, and skinny jeans and skinny lattes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and skinny wallets, but um, yeah, yeah so, so I, I, owe, I owe my life to Scotty, and uh, Scotty, you're an absolute gentleman, and I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast for a chat, man. And uh, yeah, man. So tell us, man. Tell us a bit of your story. Yeah. So yeah, that was Marge. You just brought me back there, Colin. And yeah, that was that was a good time down in Donegal. That convention, and uh, yeah, it was great to meet you and your father. God bless him. I know he passed away, but uh, he was a great member as well. It's funny when you think back of it, going down to a little family holiday and going into an AA convention. You know. It's yeah. gas, but um, yeah, 
I don't know, Colin, I'm just, I'm blessed, you know, I'm so grateful you asked me to do this as well, and uh, yeah, I'm no guru, unfortunately, you know, I don't have all the answers, um, and I'm not perfect, I suppose I want to start off by saying that, like, I haven't drink, drank in, uh, it'd be 10 years, a day at a time, uh, the first week of January, the 6th of January, you know. Brilliant, well done, man. It, it's, it's been, it's just after flying in, you know, and like I count that as my real birthday and I know you can understand that, you know, like I was born the 10th of March, 1987, but the 6th of January, it's, it's, I prefer, not that I prefer that birthday, but it's the one I look forward to the most because it's another year um, sober, you know, um, and I've made a lot of mistakes in them 10 years, Colin. It's important for me to share that, but I have a good quality of, of life today. Um, and it's it's thanks to the 12-step program, you know, and it's thanks to sorting out my mental health because, uh, like, anxiety and fear, that, that were, they were the only emotions I had growing up. I was so loved by my parents and... Like, it's important for me to share this column, and we always talk about it. I came from a great family. Like, my parents, beautiful aunties, adored my granny and granda. I had a great relationship with my brother. I still do, you know. And, like, there was no abuse. I was never bullied in school, you know. Um, I was given a beautiful life, but there was something inside me. I, I Like you talked about, I always felt like, that black sheep, you know, I always felt like I was on edge. I was scared of the unknown and um, full of fear and full of anxiety. And I don't know where it came from, Colin, you know, but, and I say a lot of kids have these emotions from a young age, but they can kind of snap out of it. But me, I obsessed on thoughts of dying, you know, thoughts of my family dying and my loved ones around me dying. And I had such a fear of the world ending. Um, and I don't know where it came from, but I had this knot in my stomach. Um, and I always, you hear me sharing about it, Colin. And I love, not that I love sharing about it, but like the only way I could describe it is my parents would go out on a Saturday night at eight o'clock and my two aunties would babysit us. <laughs> And I couldn't relax until my man and dad walked back in their front door. And they were probably only gone for a couple of hours. But my head as a kid would be in overdrive. I'd be visualising them them being in a car crash. Um, I'd be visualising them not coming home. Something bad would happen, you know. I had this fear and anxiety that I couldn't put my finger on, you know. And it wasn't until I got sober and started talking about what goes on in between my head that it was irrational fear, you know. And like, no wonder I drank, Colm, and took other substances, because when I drank and took other substances, all them fears and all them anxieties left me. But then we all know what happens when I depended so much on drink. The alcohol made me worse, and then I was full of fear and full of anxiety. So it started off as my best friend, and it really mm. turned into my enemy, you know. It's mad how it does, like, it was the exact same, you know, when I drank, it like, it just, it was that social lubricant, I remember getting this feeling of Eureka, like, in my first drink, I remember I was down, down in the, down the lanes, you know, getting drunk, and, like, Dutch gold, and, 
Jesus Christ, like, if Dutch gold, like the vilest thing ever <laughs> invented, like, you know what I mean? And I remember the first time drinking that, you know, I'd open the can, take a soup out of the can to drink, rush down my throat, hit the bottom of my belly, and then I jump back up, out of my mouth, and hit the bottom of my shoes, like, you know, it was absolutely yeah. disgusting. But I didn't give up, Scotty, I'm no quitter. <laughs> <laughs> like and, myself. <laughs> um, but I remember that you know getting drunk and I just the balls I felt I remember like we were just all messing and I remember running down the road and climbing into a wheelie bin and the wheelie bin fell over and I remember all the lads running over and picking me up and laughing and putting their arms around me and said oh you're a legend that was hilarious and I just got this overwhelming feeling of acceptance and I just finally felt like I've arrived I've arrived in life, I'm finally one of the lads, you know, I fit in, I feel respected, you know, I, I fit, fit in with the crew, and that was the that was the feeling I got, you know, so I kept wanting to recapture that buzz, but I this thing when I drank, you know, my favourite drink was always the next drink, you know, and mm-hmm. you always say, you know, one is too many and a thousand isn't enough, and I always wished I could just live in that three-point world. You know, you walk into a bar and you're like, you're absolutely hanging from the night before. You walk into a bar and you're like, oh, go on, I'll have a point. And you're sitting there and you go, oh, I can't stand this bar, man, that's on today. I hate the crowd that's here. It's so dry. This song that's playing is doing me head in. And you have one point, you're saying, oh, shouldn't be drinking after last night. Then two, you're starting to feel a bit loose. The number three point, you're like, this bear man is bang on. I think he's yeah. my soulmate. I love the crowd that's here, the great crack. See this song that's playing. We want this song played at my funeral. And that was the transformation that alcohol gave me. You know what I mean? It just changed, transformed my whole universe. You know, I heard a guy say before, you know, alcohol gave me the wings to fly and then it took away the sky. And that's exactly what it's done for me. It was this this life lubricant. It just made everything smooth. But the side effects were absolutely brutal. You know, horrendous. You know, and it it, 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 it numbed the fear, like, but on the long term, it enhanced it. It was like steroids from my anxiety and my fear. You know, and then at the start, I only had one problem. It was fear. I found my solution, which was drink. And then in the end, I had two problems, fear and drink. Mm. It's horrible. And I was just thinking that as well. Like, I don't know. I love this time of the year, but I suppose this time of the year it was coming to the end of my drinking. I remember the dark nights and it was cold. And I was just like, imagine being like, it started off so innocent calling my drinking, you know. And I don't blame anyone. No, I forced it down my neck. And I had some great times. Was like, And we have to... We have to be conscious as well. Like, we're not anti-drinkers, me and you. You know, my brother drinks, my beautiful partner drinks, and it, it doesn't bother me. I can be around it, you know, and I'd still go out and socialise. It's not like it's mm. um, it's there and I have to run, but just I'm allergic to it, you know. But yeah. it started off good, and I had some great times, but my God, when I think back to the end of my drinking and just the depression, the way my mental health uh, just disintegrated because of liquid in a glass. Like, it seems so simple, you know. And I remember having my first drink and that feeling, as you talked about, I've came home, this is where I belong. It was like someone giving me a Valium and massaging me at the same time. And I could feel this, it was cider. I remember it was bummers and I could feel it going down my neck. And like, it was warm. 
you know, it was sweet. And I just said, oh, this is what I've been missing all my life. And then fast forward seven or eight years on and I'm crying my eyes out in my bedroom, shaking for a drink, you know? So like it's a really strips it. And it doesn't matter where you come from, you know, if you have this disease, it will strip you dry, you know? It's mad, isn't it? It is that, yeah, man. It is important what you said, like this, this isn't like anti-booze. I see drink brings... I, I see drink bring the best out in a lot of people. Like, you know, like you, yeah. we have a lot of family that drink. And my brother can have one or two drinks. And I, you know, when he's got, he'll have a bottle, he watch match of the day and he relax. And like, there's two things that he does, which it makes him an absolute psychopath, which I can't get my head around. Number one is that he can have one beer and like go to bed and just be grand. And number two is he can ha- eat half a chocolate bar. Yeah. He half a feckin' chocolate bar. Yeah. Like, how, how how do you eat half a chocolate bar? You eat it all and eat the other twenty in the fridge. We'll be like. snorting the top. Oh, you fucking snorting custard creams, like you yeah. know what I mean? Injecting but, uh, bounties into us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop! It's true. But, and like, and but like that. this. Sorry. Yeah, man. no, hundred percent. 100%. And it's like, but it is that thing, like, some people can take it or leave it. I just, once they took it, I couldn't leave it, you know? And I like that I can be around my family and a great crack with a few drinks and the banter and the slagging. It's all great, but it's like that, if you're, like, lactose intolerant or if you were, like, a little you know, you wouldn't start, like, trying to, oh, I can't eat nuts. So maybe what if we just eat walnuts? So what if we eat peanut butter instead? What if we eat peanut butter flavoured ice cream, you know? Always trying to find a loophole. If, look, if it may, if it makes if it gives you allergies or symptoms or side effects, it's probably best just knock it on the head. You know what I mean? Definitely, hundred percent, Tom. And yeah, and yeah, you were saying there about, about the food as well. Yeah, that like, yeah. Well, for me, I found that I'm I'm a devil for the binge eating. You know, over the years, I found that as a, a nice little escape when I was feeling stressed out. You know, turn into food, the juice, mm-hmm. you know, just the sugar, you know, and it wasn't like I was having the one or two extra biscuits. It was hiding the amount of food I was eating in an extreme way, like, you know yeah, what I mean? Me. Just getting the dopamine balls out of it, you know. And my, my thing is with addiction is that, you know, addiction, alcoholism is another word for me. My theory for escapism, that I just want to escape out of my head. And it doesn't matter if it's fucking drink drugs or fig rolls it's just whatever will give me that escape you know what yeah. i mean that whatever i can get a buzz out of you know and uh and that that was me i'm just an i'm an addict through and through that i'll get a buzz out of anything but yeah. i'm trying to get a buzz out of healthier things that don't have mad consequences like meditation or sea swimming or exercising or mindfulness you know things like this that don't have extreme consequences definitely common yeah it's mad the way there's different things out there now that we kind of turn to that aren't bad for us. Well, I'm like you, Colm. Anything, I like sensations and I like feelings, you know. And, like, there's some things I will do to the max. If it's food, you know, um, relationships in the past, drinking, painkillers, codeine, you know, all that stuff I, I can't take because once I start, I can't stop, you know. Mm. And uh, I suppose it's taken me a good few years to get to a place where I don't 
escape as much, you know. If I am escaping, it could be just a PlayStation or Netflix, but it's nothing that's mood-altering, you know. And I suppose you, you mentioned meditation there, Colin. It's so important. And for me, it's it's prayer. And I think when I was in the band, like, I was sober in the band and I'd done some great uh, big gigs sober and recorded an album and all that. And I'd done all that sober, I suppose the only way I could do it so, so sober was with a help and support, which was a 12-step program, and also a bit of faith, a lot of faith actually come. That, that's, that's my saving grace. I depend so much on prayer because I find it hard to meditate, meditate mm. you know, um, and it's just something that has gotten me closer to my recovery. And closer to myself, that inner child, you know, that yeah. God, as I understand them. And it's a beautiful connection I have. Yeah, that's it. Like, and everyone has their own concept and understanding of what a higher entity is. Like, my, my personal one would be would be nature, you know, and being out, you know, we sit on my balcony and, like, in the morning, this morning, sat out on my balcony and listen to the birds and, like, this wild orchestra going on and just being able to connect in that and to be to connect to that and be present in that and you know that that for me is, is god or higher entity or whatever way you want to label it and someone told me before about spiritual enlightenment is that there's more than one way to get the done Leary, you know and there's also yeah. more than one way to get that enlightenment that's not oh you have to be a catholic or you have to be a jew or whatever you know there's there's more than one way and it's about finding your own way and at the end of the day we're all just trying to find our our, our own way home you know what i mean and you'll find different people on your journey when, when you get there but well at the end of the day it's whatever gives you peace of mind and Definitely that's and, and my biggest disciplinarians is peace and fear that when i'm doing the right things i feel peace if i do good I feel good, but if I'm doing the wrong things, I feel suffering. You know what I mean? If I'm getting into confrontations all the time, or being selfish all the time, or being wrapped up in negative thinking, or as we talked about, like overeating, or or looking for escape and other things, you know, I, I feel an inner sense of suffering. You know, but if I'm doing the right thing, I feel inner peace. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? I remember a friend used to say to me. Like you're either going towards a drink or you're going away from it. And like that really, I can really understand that, you know, because yeah. if I'm exercising, if I'm eating well, I'm really in a good place. But if I'm kind of falling a bit short, you know, and yeah, like Colin, I suppose for us as well, like I just came in to stop drinking and stop taking drugs. And I suppose I didn't really have all them other addictions. Um, and I discovered in sobriety that I would be an addict, you know, but yeah. And it's that thing being gentle on yourself, but not giving yourself the green light either. It's all about balance, Colin. That's what I'm trying to say in everything. And I know for me, I find balance hard. Um, and that's why I'm not cured like yourself. It's still a day at a time. I never say I'll never drink again. I just say I won't drink for today. And I think that's important because a lot of people uh, think like, Right, you stop drinking and then you don't drink for the rest of your life. It's unfortunately it's not that easy, you know. Like there is a bit of work to be done. But I'm so grateful, Colin, and I know you're the same that we found something that drink and drugs gave us. We found this fellowship. And the biggest prize for me is 
I just love that for once in my life, I could tell someone about them fears and them anxieties that 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 smothered me from a young age. Um, and I remember telling a man who was my first sponsor, I said, Jerry, I have these crazy thoughts. I think everyone around me is going to die. I think I'm going to die. Because, Colin, I would get a pain in my chest, and I can still get it today. I get a pain in my chest, and I think I'm having a heart attack. I get a pain in my head. I think it's leukemia. You know, I get a pain in my foot, and I think I have gangrene. That's the way I'm wired. I'm wired differently. You know, my first thought is always extreme. But I remember saying to that man, like, why do I think like this? And he smiled, and he put his arm around me. And he goes, you, you never have to be alone again. And he explained to me that he taught like that from a young age, you know, and thoughts aren't facts, they're only thoughts. And 99% of the stuff that goes on in my head is utter bullshit, you know? One of the things that I suppose really made like the non-drinking thing was attractive was watching your life like you were like you were in a band really successful band you were cool like you're only 23 24 and you didn't drink you know and you just made the whole sober life seem just so like attractive and cool like you know what i mean because when i came into recovery first you know when you think of alcoholic i thought it was like a homeless guy sitting on a park bench in Stevens Green, you know, drinking a nagging of vodka out of a paper bag. You know, we didn't understand that, like, everyday folk can develop drinking problems or become alcoholics, like, you know what I mean? I didn't know it affects young people, settled people, you know, all ranges of people, you know? And then, I suppose, coming into a 12-step program, we've seen all these different types of people. Like, when I was going to my first meeting, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be, like, people sitting in a circle singing kumbaya my lord like you know what i mean yeah. i didn't know what to expect like you know and like what was that like for you being so young and just being so fucking cool and being in the band and all like, how, how did you find that yeah well i suppose like i just knew the drinking was coming to an end and i was looking at all my friends they were i just knew colin i was different once i started drinking i couldn't stop and everyone could go back to reality where I couldn't. I just wanted more and more, you know. So my mental health was deteriorating. Um, I suppose my family knew there was something up, but I just kind of surrendered. I didn't know much about the 12-step program. Um, I went to my GP, and he suggested AA, and um, I had a friend who knew someone in the fellowship so it was just kind of the way it happened i just knew that i'll try this i'd never tried any tried anything before i'd never never been in a treatment center but i knew i wanted to change you know um and i remember just finding out about a meeting in bray and that's where i got sober um and it was a cold dark night it was the 6th of january and I remember walking up, you know the room well, and I'm walking up the stairs and I could hear the crack and the laughter. And I walked into that meeting, didn't know what to expect. Like you, so I thought like it'd be a cult, you know. But then again, I didn't really care because I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And physically, I probably could have went on drinking, but mentally there was no way. 
Yeah. So definitely had to jump an off point, you know, and I don't know, just my thinking was so fuzzy and so distorted. I was scared of my thinking. Um, and I'm just so blessed that I went to that meeting and there was men there for some reason. There was no women there. It was just a normal meeting. And no one said to me, what age are you or how much do you drink? You know, that's what I loved about uh, the recovery program. Or no one told me, like, if you drink, you can never come back here. Um, mm. And I was blown away. First of all, it was free. Then I was blown away that there was no governors. There was no one in charge. It was self-supporting. Yeah. Was, this is mad. I've never seen an org- organization that is, there's no one in charge and there's no one bossing other people and there's no hierarchy. You know? yeah. so I mm. fell in love with the program, Colin, if I'm being honest. And I just loved, a man said to me, he goes, Scott, is your life better with or without drink? And I've kept, yeah. kept it simple ever since that, you know? Yeah, I love that. And, like, what like, what would you say you'd use to fill that void? You know, when you stopped using the drink and the drugs and whatever, what was, like, a few of the things that you, you kind of used to replace that void? Yeah, like, for me, Colin, there's a lot of things, like exercise. At the moment, and in a couple of years, I haven't really done much of exercise, but I know that's so key. I know you're big into it, and I see you going for swims and all, and I'm trying to get back into that, you know. Would you not get in, into the sea with me sometime? <laughs> me and you in the sea, like two whales. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> whales with ants. It's for fungi. That's why fungi left the waters. Cause you're <laughs> yeah. I had an encounter with a seal actually there not too long ago. Uh I went uh, went out for a swim in Hout and I just swam out and there was all these like these Spanish students on the beach. I didn't think of another. No, they were also trying to say something to me in Spanish and I was like, Oh yeah, ole, bonjour, monsieur <laughs> you know. And uh I was swimming out and anyway, and they all started screaming at me again. I didn't think didn't heed anything of it. And uh, next thing I'm just floating there and I turn around and this seal just pops up beside me <laughs> and lets out this bark. I didn't even know they could bark. Oh man, I absolutely crap. Oh, I crap myself. And I swam back. I was just in my head going, please God, please get me to safety. Please get me to safety. <laughs> and they uh, got to the shore like, and uh, all the Spanish students are like, oh, seal, the seal. <laughs> I thought they were saying, oh, see, 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 senor. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought it was the seal on the no uh, the singer seal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, oh man, things bite. you are. And then things bite. I I don't think I googled it when I got home that day. It was tra- I was traumatized. I was just googled it, and apparently they don't bite. They're grand. Like you always see them. We swim now out to the boy at the forty four, and uh, they, they never go near you. Like you see them just sitting on the rocks, and they don't come near you. Like you know what I mean. Yeah, he's your brave man, Colin. Like <laughs> oh, stop, man. Stop. I used to be afraid to take advantage of me. <laughs> You'd love that. That's why, <laughs> yeah, spending, well, that's, that's why you're spending every hour in, on, in the sea. Yeah, that, not even the fucking seals would bring me on a day. So I heard a guy say, not even the tide would take you out. <laughs> <laughs> face for the radio. That's oh, stop. Face for a podcast. Face for a <laughs> That's what you're doing. <laughs> uh, well, come here, Scotty. So, what what sort of stuff like? Uh, how how is your like mental health, and what sort of things would you do to, to kind of maintain and keep it in a good place? Yeah. So for me, Colin, I keep it simple. I wake up every morning, and before I go to the toilet, or before I look at my phone, 
that before I kiss my beautiful partner or my son, I get on my knees and I just ask the man above to give me some direction, you know, and I suppose, Colin, a lot of people look at me and they think I'm this religious nut, you know, and like I don't go to mass. I don't believe in religion. You know, I believe in God or a higher power. Um, I suppose I like to call it Jesus because I can put a picture on it, you know. But, like, I think people look at me and they think that I'm, I'm, I pray. I go to Mass three times a day, you know. I just have my own relationship with my God. And I find for me, Colin, when I pray, that really fills the hole in the soul. That's where... I can hand over all my anxieties and all my fears, you mm. know, and I depend so much on that loving God, not the God that's going to punish me because I still have feet of clay. I still make mistakes. But and the way I speak to you, Colm, it's the way I speak to my higher power. Um, and that 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 is the answer for me, if I'm being honest, is faith. Yeah. I've tried everything to fill the hole in the soul. And the mm. only thing that can fill it is fate and recovery, you know? Yeah, no, too right. And again, as we were talking about earlier on, it's, I suppose it's about finding your own concept and understanding whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, if you want to, like, you know what I mean? Obviously, like, as I said, my, my, my higher entity would be uh, would be nature. You know, I sometimes I struggle to meditate, you know, my mind's going 90 miles an hour. So if I find that instead, if we do some mindful walking, I'm outside and I'm I'm observing, I'm, I'm intensely present. You know, I'm observing all my surroundings. Like I'm looking at what colour is the car driving past me, what colour is the front door of that house, what plants are in the garden, you know, what colour is that tree, can I hear the birds singing, can I feel the wind on my face, you know, I'm intensely mm-hmm. present walking and the same when I got into the sea, you know, I love getting into the sea and that lack of control and just feeling so minuscule, you know, when when you feel like you're getting wrapped up in your own problems and you start to feel like you're the centre of the universe and you're the big deal, and then you get into the sea, for me, and you just realise how, you know, how you're just, a, can, you're just a part of this big, massive universe you know um and even when i look up at the stars and it just humbles me as well you know mm-hmm. and little things like that just to bring me back into the present moment and just ground me you know what i mean and and then some days i can meditate and some days it's just counting my breaths and when i was down in cork i was at a, at a buddhist retreat i was working there for a few weeks and uh one of the monks down there taught me his way of meditating is he just breathes in through his nose <gasps> And then, um, and he keeps saying, um, until he's out of breath. And then he starts again. And he, he tries to do what well, his way of doing meditating is he tries to get to 10 by doing that. And every time a thought comes into his head, he starts again. And he said, No one has ever made it to 10. I said, like, What do you mean? He said, Our brain is programmed to, for thoughts to come in. Some thoughts are crazy. Some thoughts are what I have for dinner. Other thoughts, yeah. as you shared about the fear of your parents, you know, we get these intrusive thoughts but he said no that's perfectly normal for thoughts that come into our heads when we're trying to meditate and be in the present and yeah you know, and i think tough. that's important colin that anyone listening because i think we all get them me and my partner were talking about it them extreme thoughts you know that mm. it could be the sickest thought ever you know but it's just a thought it's not a fact yeah and like there's so many people locked up uh or that have done things 
that acted on their thoughts and maybe that if they would have spoke to someone about it, you know, maybe they wouldn't have went through with it. And mental health is such a big thing. People think depression, that's mental health. It, it covers all platforms, anxiety, you know, and them thoughts. That's why my anxiety really crept up, Colin, because them mad thoughts I had from a young age, mm. I thought it was so unique. And I thought if I said it to anyone, I'd be locked away in the no house, you know. Yeah. But little did I know that 99% of people think like that, you know. But just, I was using substance to block them out, which isn't healthy too, you know. Yeah, no, no, that, that's it, man. And as, as you said, we, when we get them intrusive thoughts, you know, some of them can be crazy, you know, but we are not our thoughts, you know. And our brain yeah. is just, it's a primal tool to find problems and solve problems. And as soon as we start to identify and attach to our thoughts, that's when stuff can, I suppose that's when we can start to feel anxiety. Because you, you're taking the worst case scenario all the time. And as I heard someone say, what's what's the, uh, what does fear stand for? You know, it's future events appearing real. Mm. And that's what it is. That when these events, you know, if there's a knock on the door, or if there's a letter comes in the post, say, What's the first thing that pops into our head sometimes? Oh, I bet you that's an eviction notice. Or we got five missed calls off a family member. We're had thinking, like, who's on Yeah, or the boss sends us an email. They want to have a chat. Or there goes my job, you know. And usually it's not the case. 99.9% .9 of the time it's not the case. But when we're chewing on these negative thoughts, we start to feel the emotions and the experiences as if they're real, as if they're really happening. And that's what can cause anxiety sometimes, you know what I mean? Definitely. When we start to feed these emotions as if it's real. It's like feeding the kind of tiger, isn't it? Just kind of giving that bit of meat and then it just pounces on you. It comes from all, yeah. all angles, you know? And yeah, yeah. Like you said as well, Colin, we were chatting before. I found that, because you always say to me, how did you perform sober? Because a lot of people would have thought I was off my head when I was on stage. Um, and it was the complete opposite. I remember deciding that I wasn't going to drink anymore. Um, I was serious about it. It was affecting my mental health. But I was so nervous to perform because I thought I would be a dry shite on stage. Um, and it was the opposite. I just said to myself, I prayed before I went on stage. And I just said, just let me do this. And I had an amazing experience. And like just the high being clean and sober and being on stage is, is uh, such a feeling, you know, and to do mm. it without a drink or a drug um, was amazing, you know, and the lads drank around me and they were so supportive and it wasn't in my face, you know, and uh, even when we done the late, late column, like sure there was a free bar there and all, you know, yeah. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is, and even when I went traveling, Sorry, when I'd done a bit of traveling, you know, I went to base camp and I went to Vegas and New York. And like you, Colin, when you go traveling, like our primary purpose is still to stay sober. So it's not like we take a weekend off, you know, like mm. when I wake up in the morning, I realize that I'm an alcoholic and that I need a higher power in my life and that I can drink safely. And I think when I switch into that mode straight away, um, I'm aware of it, you know, and my day is a, is a bit more easier because mm. I can't afford to uh, go 
go back drinking or go back taking drugs and you're the same you know yeah no 100% yeah it's I think I think people think like as you said earlier I'm sorry to interrupt there about like people see alcoholics as someone that's on the side of the road with a with a bottle of vodka in a brown paper bag it couldn't be further from the truth you know Mm. there's so many Actors, bankers, you know, people who are on the dole, dole, sorry, and people in government, everyone, yeah, part of, of, of different fellowships, and, and it's just amazing, you know. It's a privilege to be part of one, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't matter if you're from Fox Rock or you live under a rock, you know. This will, yeah. uh, you know, it's it puts a bit why we drank, you know what I mean? It's not always about like. It doesn't matter why the ship is fucking sinking, like or why the Titanic's sinking. It's about getting off it, and then you can readdress the problem when you're at safe ground. You know. Yeah. And definitely. sometimes people want to stay on the boat until they find the fucking problem as to why. And you know, just just because it can be anything, it could run in the family, it could be childhood trauma, it could be you know just culture. It could be you love the taste of something and you just developed a habit and you couldn't undevelop it, you know. It can be a million different things, you know. But the main thing is that I suppose that we were able to fall in love with life again and fall in love with ourselves as well and start to like who we are. And as you say, going to base camp and for me traveling and getting to see that, enjoying your own company again and enjoying the person you were and, I needed to drink before because I needed to escape from myself. I just couldn't stand hanging out with Colm, you know. And now I really enjoy me on time and I enjoy being my own best friend. Now I'm going to hang around with me, Scotty. That's what I'm going to say. I have no friends, so I have to be yeah. my own friend. But like the, I don't need to drink anymore because of that stuff, because I enjoy my own environment, you know what I mean? I enjoy my own company. Whereas before I needed to because the inside was so fucking bonkers like you know whereas now it's a it's a nice pleasant place to be yeah it's my column and you hit something there you hit the nail on the head like i i always hate being on my own in the past and now i feel so comfortable in my own skin like what you talked about it's a great place to be isn't it because even in the early days of my recovery i always needed a telly on or i always need to be doing something to keep my mind occupied and Mm. now i can sit still and just enjoy the beautiful things around me. And I know that sounds a bit of a cliche and a bit kind of hocus pocus, but it is the truth, you mm. know. To be honest with you, Colin, I thought I'd stop drinking, you know. I didn't know what the consequences would be. I didn't know if I'd stop drinking. I wanted to stop drinking because my life was in bits. But I, I just, I'm in awe about the life. It's like I had two lives. The life I had up to 23, which... Uh, a lot of them years were amazing with my family and I had a beautiful childhood and then my drinking, I only really drank for six or seven years, maybe eight, um, and then put cocaine and whatever on top of that. Yeah. So my years in the fellowship have overlapped my years drinking and my God, the last 10 years, I've just had such a good quality of life and I've had my ups and downs. People have died. I've lost jobs, you know, and that's just life. But because I'm on a, in a 12-step program and I have a God in my life, I can deal with these things better. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100% get you, man. And yeah, it's, I, suppose it's, I suppose we're just learning to, to, to deal with them emotions. And it's, it's, norm, it's normal stuff, you know what I mean? It's like 
like the stresses of jobs or the stress of relationships, you know, these are all normal life emotions, you know, just because we're feeling anxiety doesn't mean that there's anything wrong per se, you know, that sometimes we're just, it's just part of human being and sorry, being a human being that we naturally get these ups and downs. But I think it's about, I suppose, having a look at what kind of coping mechanisms that we use to escape out of these normal feelings, you know, that everyone gets anxiety, you know, everyone gets a, a pat, patches of suffering. It's an inevitable part of being a human being. But what's important is what what way we, how we deal with it then. You know, some people say that stress and anxiety are our best friends. They can be great motivators. You know, I've seen people where they've come to like breakups or breakdowns and they've gone on to, for, to break throughs, you know, it's catapulted yeah. them into great places. It's been great motivators. But if we, if I don't deal with that stress and anxiety in a healthy way, where I'm brushing under the carpet, or I'm like looking to food or online shopping or drinking, sorry, drinking drugs, whatever. Yeah. We might use to just deal with the stress and numb it, you know, use it as an anesthetic. You know, it's like how when the stress and anxiety comes, which inevitably it does as part of being a human being, it's like how, what are the healthy things we can do to deal with it? And I think one of the healthiest things to do is to talk, is to just mm. talk to people and say that, like, this is this this stuff happens, like, you know what I mean? It's mad, Colin. The secret is talking. Who would have thought? Yeah, just to talk and be able to say, like, this... This stuff's going on with us, like, you know. Yeah. Um, but man, what I'm and just like Scotty, what like how are you like how would you say like when you're in work and like you spend the time with the kid and things like that that you use your kind of like what tools you use to kind of help with your mental health? Yeah, but I suppose, like, I'd still laugh about it. I could still get a pain in my chest, and I think that's it. I'm on my way out. I wonder what Colin's sitting at my funeral. <laughs> but I just don't feed. I would. I would. <laughs> I just don't feed the thought, and, like, I don't want to bang on about God or faith, but if I feel anxious or nervous or if I'm in work and I feel a bit stressful, I just pray. That is my antidote prayer, you know. Um, and as you know, I have a newborn son who I idolize. He's 10 weeks old and even just sitting with him and yeah, just being present. I think all my life I was always running, you know, I always thought the grass was greener mm. on the other side and just to be present in the moment um, and just try and pull it back. And like you said, Colm, like there's so many distractions in life and there's so many good days and so many bad days, but everyone has them. And I firmly believe we're not programmed to be happy 24-7. It's okay to feel a bit off. Um, and I'm a human being before I'm anything else. But thank God I have yeah. a loving God in my life and I have a 12-step program. And I have so many beautiful people around me. I have a great lady um, who I, I love so much and I have a beautiful son and my parents and my brother and my aunties. I still have all them in my life. I have a beautiful niece and it's just a good quality of life. But I really firmly believe if I was still drinking, I wouldn't be part of their lives. You know, I mm. wouldn't have my own relationship. I wouldn't have a son, you know. Um, and just by putting down the drink, my life instantly got better. 
and then all these beautiful gifts came into my life, you know. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah, that that's beautiful, man. I love that. Cheers, man. Yeah. So, Scotty, thanks a million for coming on, brother. No worry. Really appreciate it. <laughs> you're very welcome and uh, I'll, I'll send a check in the post for you now right <laughs> the, the best looking redhead in uh, in Bray I'm going to get you more likes than uh, Joe Rogan now and then, then you'll be paying yeah, me be bigger, big, bigger than Joey Rogan <laughs> this, this is the money maker <laughs> the next, next time I'll be talking to you I'll be talking like a yank yeah hi can I get a hamburger hamburger and fries <laughs> Gonna watch Come. Chelsea get to the semi-finals. <laughs> You're a gentleman. <laughs> Roy Scotty, beautiful Come man. Best. Have a good day, brother. Bye bye. You too, bye bye. Bye bye.